Sahay para usted de Neighborworks America y el Ad Council. Dinosaur Oh, dinosaur When will you hatch? Cause I got a million people coming on Friday. And they expect to see a dinosaur, not a neck. Robot slave, oh robot slave, when will you spring to life? Cause I got a million people coming on Friday, and I don't expect to serve them. Good afternoon. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Megan Levod is here. Megan, thanks for being in the studio today. Hi, T. <laughs> thanks for having me on the show. Well, it's good to see you. Oh, I'm glad to, to be here. And I can't wait to hear some of your, your poems going out over the airwaves um, today. And you're also going to be reading tonight with Francine Harris yep. at Nicola's Books. Yes, 7 p.m. Um, 7 p.m. over in Westgate mm-hmm. Mall. Um, and you you guys will be reading from Another and Another, mm-hmm. um, an anthology. Yeah, it's an anthology of poems um, from The Grind, which is a daily writing series. Which is wonderful. Like yeah. The Daily Grind. The Daily Grind. Our, our- I actually found something. Um, I didn't know this before, but grinders are also, grinding is also a term for people. Um, it's used in video gaming to describe the process of engaging in repetitive tasks during video games in order to level up the character or unlock new features or special abilities. Wow. And for us, it means that you're writing, you're challenging yourself to write a poem every day, a full first draft every day for a month, and you send it to, you email it to a group of people, and the, they email you theirs, and you kind of keep each other all accountable and, and try to level up. <laughs> <laughs> And in this, and is this a group of people that um, that are part of the daily grind? This is it a collective, or is it something that as people join, um, they match you up with a group of four others, or what? People kind of. It started small enough that we could all be on one email list, and so I was invited by Vivi Francis, who went to the MFA program here at Michigan, um, and she's the author of Blue Tail Fly which is a Made in Michigan book, um, and also Horse in the Dark, which just came up from Northwestern University Press. Wonderful. Yeah, and, um, and so Matthew invited me to join. Yeah, and Matthew Olsman, um, is, he's one of the originators of The Grind with Ross White, um, and Matthew and Vivi are married, and so that's how she got involved, and then she asked me, and the first time, it was, I think, maybe October of 2007, and I really wanted to generate lots of work for my MFA thesis. So I perfect said, timing. Sure. Then. Yeah. <laughs> I'll try to do this. Um, yeah. And what was it like coming up with an original? So a first draft mm-hmm. um, every day. Did you give yourself, um, you know, uh, other parameters or was it well, something that you could just do at any time of, of the day or for I did it take over the day? Because if you were in the program, maybe you had right. a little bit more time than you do 
today. Right. Or mm-hmm. Well, it took over my mental space, but that was actually the best thing about mm. it because I think that the thing that I most got out of it was just learning to always have my poetry on my mind. And that was... That that was a great, great gift. Um, I also, the other really great gift was just knowing that I can, it's okay to write and have it be terrible. It's okay to suck. Because that was what I was going to ask yeah. you, Megan. Because if you have to, because you're saying part of the exercise of it mm-hmm. is that it's daily, but that it's a first draft. And right. so that when you send it to the group, yeah. that is... And for the first few, were you thinking, oh, if I could just tidy this, I'll just tidy this mm-hmm. up a bit before I push send? Or Absolutely. was it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you feel sort of chagrined and you're like, oh, I can't believe this. But everyone has agreed to, and you don't show anyone outside of the group any of the work. And you try not to comment too much because if you comment, you know, and say, oh, this is great, this is great, this is great, too much early on, then especially toward the end of the month when everyone's tired and all that that silence starts to weigh a little bit heavy. So you try to be careful with that, too. Oh, you mean you don't respond to the the poems that you're receiving in the mail? It's just more more to be just accountable to each other and to know each other, like each person is working out there. Yeah, exactly. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it was super useful for me, and it kind of ingrained in me um, just the habit of, like I said, having my writing on my mind and getting much more comfortable sitting down and making myself write at any time of day, in any place. And are you still doing that, Megan? Because that, you said October 2007 when the practice began. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started that month, I think they had maybe done one or two months before that, and then continued for several months in a row that year and now I've come back on and off again I um just tried to do the month of November and did the terrible terrible thing of uh just dropping it the last 10 days which you know and kind of goes against the whole ethos of the thing but I think people will understand (laughs) and so but you did it with the group again I did it yeah so it is and do you ever do this project sort of by by yourself or is it working better when you're sending it out to the group? I have done it by myself, um, particularly when I'm trying to finish a draft of a project. And so with You Are Where You Live, which is um, a complete draft that I have now. A manuscript you're... you're, Yeah, it's a manuscript I'm sending out. out. Yeah, um, with that one, I did start... um, I I finished it by just getting up every day at 5 a.m. and trying to finish a poem every day. So. I remember that, I, yeah. <laughs> that time, because I would see you and you, you know, you would maybe be on your, not your first cup of coffee of the morning no. when I would see you because you would have been working since yeah. that early. Yeah. And is that something that you felt like you were able to really, um, once you did it for a while, it became almost um, like a compulsion to work then before you yeah. came in, for example, to the office. Yeah, or to... absolutely. It made it feel like I had um, somehow stolen a little part of the day, which I think felt really good. And I also think that, you know, eventually when you have been waking up at five in the morning for several weeks in a row, it forces you to say to yourself, I guess this is pretty important to me. So I guess, I guess I'm stuck with being a poet. <laughs> You're doing the right thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, um, Megan, since we've spoken about it, um, actually, let me remind everyone again that tonight you'll be reading with Francine Harris. Mm-hmm. Megan Levod and Francine Harris will read tonight at Nicola's um, from Another and Another, an anthology from the Grind Daily Writing Series. Um, and here, I'll just read your short bio 
Megan, mm. and then maybe would you read a poem that w- mm-hmm. that's in the book, and, sure. and people will be able to pick up a copy of these these books. Megan Levod's poems have recently appeared in American Letters and Commentary, Fence, Grant Online, and Tin House, and in the Everyman's Library anthology, Killer Verse. She also writes lyrics for composers Tucker Fuller and Kristen Custer, a native of rural Iowa. She now lives in Ann Arbor, where she runs the Zell Visiting Writer series. And it's often up at 5 a.m. writing poems. <laughs> and in this anthology, Megan, is it that do they put only the finished ones or are these the first drafts or what is actually um, wh- what's what's published in the anthology itself? So these are finished ones. Um, so they sent a call to all of the poets who had participated at some point because it's different groups every month. People jump in and jump out and then. I, I they selected poems from those that were sent into them, and they but they don't show like any sort of the the first no. to the last. It's always no. just the final. Okay, yeah. yeah. So it is more like a traditional anthology in that way. Yeah. Well, what are you what are you gonna read for us? Uh, so well, I'll read I'll read one from from my section. World book. Name this climate, the trees that live here, dogs working, toy. The native dress of Russia, mimicked with a blouse and dirndl from the spare room closet, made for the 1970 state fair, not worn once. Find manners between man, human, male adult, and man of war, racehorse, jellyfish. Etiquette, table settings for oysters, turtle soup. Do not write, please RSVP, as the please is implied by Sivu play. Home, igloo, yurt, junk. Imagine life with the man from Tibet. Look for the dirty words. Be disappointed. Try the Greek myths. Someone has torn out Io. Leda's missing too. Solemnly page through cats of every shade and texture. Come to cat and mouse, traditional games. Play it alone, boot after boot, beaten through the dead March snow. Thank you. And so you've got a whole section in this mm-hmm. book then. How many poems? Oh, well, it's that? really, I put it together. It's one long poem in um, 17 sections. So it's nice. many, yeah, so it's many kind of shorter pieces all put into, to make one big poem, which is something that I do a lot. Yeah, how, like when do you decide that something's, it's going to be one of these longer poems do they do the pieces come to you mm-hmm. and then you're seeing them as like a, a linked piece or how, yeah how do you I think it's actually it? yeah I think it's sort of a way in which the practice kind of creates the form and so I think when I am writing a little bit every day I have I mean it, naturally what happens is that those poems that are written day after day during the same time period have some relationship to one another because they're all coming from my brain at a certain point in time. And then looking back later, you know, maybe a year, maybe a couple of years, um, with these it was maybe like three later, um, you see, you start to see the patterns and you start to see how, oh, if I put these in relation to one another, there's something much more interesting that comes out than if they're just separate um, standalone pieces. And so this was a case with looking back three years, three years and seeing um, that 
what from that one month that when you did the daily grind mm-hmm. project, what is that? And then revising from there. Yeah. So some of these, so some of what I have in the anthology was in my, was in my MFA thesis. And a lot of that came out of grind practice. Um, and some of it was from later or different times, but it still sort of seemed to speak to the, the, the smaller poems seem to speak to one another and want to be maybe chapters in a longer poem. I use a lot of um, the language of fiction writers sometimes to talk about my work because I'm really interested in narrative and um, an arc and changes in time and character. So, And yeah. what are some of the characters you're most fond of, Megan, who've emerged in, um, in these in these, or actually in all the poems, like the ones, yeah. do you have a favorite? <laughs> a favorite. Um, <laughs> or a um, character that keeps resurfacing, won't go away. I think I, that's a good question. I don't know if there are particular characters, but there are some voices that I think I get attached to. Um, I think I'm pretty interested in kind of, the sort of middle school age girl voice um, that that sort of on the cusp of puberty kind of um, child young woman sort of voice. I'm also pretty interested in a kind of a terse um, Midwestern sort of laconic male voice in a lot of ways. And so some of that comes up in You Are Where You Live. Um, and also in You Are Where You Live, it turns out, someone pointed out to me uh, recently that there are a lot of poems in, in that collection that have um, elderly voices, which he was saying, oh, that that's not so common, at least in his reading. And so that was really interesting to me. That was Derek Mong, who um, is editing. He used to, he went to the University of Michigan's MFA program and is now editing Mantis. And they took some of the poems from You Are Where You Live. And so those were his comments about them. Oh, and those, and the ones that he chose were They're these all, elderly. Yeah. How interesting. Yeah. And it was something I had never really thought about in the work before, but You're, he's it's definitely there. Are you channeling your inner Archie Bunker? <laughs> Maybe not I, curmudgeon. I don't know. Some of them are pretty curmudgeonly. <laughs> oh, well, maybe we'll get to hear maybe some from you are where you you live when we come back. Um, we'll t- I'll tell you what. Let's take a short break. And then um, we should say tonight you can go and see Megan Levod in person at Nicola's Books, uh, Westgate Mall, tonight at 7 p.m., uh, reading from Another and Another, an anthology from the Grind Daily Writing Series. So uh, put that in your date book, folks. It's tonight. Um, and here, we'll be back. You've got living writers today. Megan Levod is here. Stephanie's engineering. Tex is also behind the glass. We'll be right back. <laughs>
Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, we're glad you did. Today on Living Writers, Megan Levod is here. Uh, I'm T. Hetzel. We've got Stephanie Engineering playing some cool tunes, Dave mode. Megan has chosen all the tunes today, I should say. <laughs> it was one of the best parts. I was like, yes, I get to play DJ, sort of. And Megan loves the musics. <laughs> I loves all the musics. Really, almost all. And we're actually, this a little bit later in the program, we'll mm-hmm. hear, um, you've, you've been writing librettos for the last few yeah. years now. Mm-hmm. In your, your group, 1928, your mm-hmm. project with um, Tucker. Tucker Fuller. And he mm-hmm. composes, mm-hmm. and you, you compose the lyrics. Yeah, yeah. So we'll hear some of that. Mm-hmm. We'll have some, some new music from Megan Levod. Um, and so, and this, you chose this song, Why the Depeche Mode? Oh, well, because I like it. It's a good song. Um, and because I thought, I think, I, I thought it went well in some ways with one of the, with You Are Where You Live, the manuscript that I mentioned, which is, um, I've finished drafting. And that manuscript is actually composed of 66 poems that are based on the 66 consumer groups identified by PRISM, which is a subsidiary of Nielsen Company. So, you know, Nielsen Company, the TV ratings people, they have subsidiaries that put together essentially like psychographic marketing information so that companies can buy that and they know who's going to buy their product and where to advertise and where to build a franchise, et cetera. So with, with Prism, uh, their, their um, system is actually called You Are Where You Live, and it's based on the 66 groups are formed by looking at the intersections of geographical location, um, age, and income. And then based on those three major things, along with lots of other market research, they lump everybody into one of those 66 groups. Yeah. How bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so they give you... them these great names. And so <laughs> I couldn't not write poems about them. And how did you find this, Megan? What was, uh, what was the accident of fate that how you came I, to it? I was reading. So remember the, the financial crisis in 2008? Um, yeah. So I was reading a Harper's article about... It was about um, payday loan places, actually. And there was just a side mention of the demographic that most often uses payday loan places. And I thought, whoa, wait, what is this? And, and I can't it was remember. cited? Was it somehow cited yeah. to PRISM? Or? It was, yeah, it was, they referred to PRISM. And so I just Googled it. And it's very easy to find because, of course, they want companies to buy this information. And you can actually go online and just Google PRISM with a Z, P-R-I-Z-M, um, or Nielsen Claritas, um, or just Google You Are Where You Live, and it should come up in the first page of hits. And you can put in your until zip the, code. Until the book is out. <laughs> right. And then then <laughs> yeah. that will come up first. Right. Good thing titles don't have copyright. Um, but um, <laughs> That's an interesting side note. <laughs> yeah, I know. We'll see what happens. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, so, but you can put your zip code in and find out which, it'll come up with five groups that you might be a part of. And you can kind of guess, reading the descriptions, which one might be you. And of course, none of them are a perfect fit, but they <laughs> can Not like be, astrology. Right. No, not like astrology, which is true and real. Very important. Yeah. No. <laughs> but, but, so it's interesting. You never know when you're going to discover or walk into your next project, it yeah. sounds like. Yeah, yeah. That was, um, it was just something that really intrigued me. And I think I also kind of like the neatness 
And it's it's really tightly conceived, and I'm sure that there are really great arguments to be made for how that's not very poetic, but um, I don't really care. So, yeah, hey, yeah, <laughs> and that's truly poetic. <laughs> Rebel poet. Um, when, when you say the, the tightly conceived, Megan, can you say more about that? Well, just the fact that it's, you know, it's so easy to, to describe what I'm doing with this, um, that there's 66 poems. But then I think um, there's also a lot that's going on that doesn't really come through in the description. I mean, I'm really interested in how we arrive, how we experience texts now. Yes, the space, how you're using the space, yeah. even... Um, I wish you guys, everyone could see this. It's um, oriented on the page differently. So it's long ways mm -hmm. uh, rather than vertical. You're working more with the horizontal line. Yeah. And, and then, uh, can you talk about your use of space? Yeah, That's yeah, nice. yeah. Um, well, I turned it horizontally because I was making, I was writing longer lines. Um, and then my friend Rebecca Port, who's also a poet, um, mentioned that, well, of course it needs to be landscape. I'm writing about America. Um, which I thought <laughs> she's absolutely right. Um, but the thing that I was really interested in in terms of not just left justifying everything is that so much of the text we encounter now is not in codex form. It's not in a book with a spine. Um, it's often online. It's or it is um, just sort of in the in the cloud of advertising that's constantly around us. And we somehow put all of we somehow pick out what's important to us and put it together um even though it's not really coming at us in a sort of linear fashion so i was trying to get at some of that with the way the poems are laid out too to make it more like the experience of reading from a newspaper or a magazine or a computer screen than from a book of poems and it does feel like there's um flurries and drop-offs and jolts and rushes within the the experience of reading one of the poems. Good, good. I mean, I was also really interested in the sonic experience of the poems, too, and so really trying to kind of score them on the page with my use of white space or different uses with punctuation and stuff. So, And so is it strange, like, are you, do you... Um, do you get the chance to also hear how other people then would read them aloud, Megan? To you know, because you're interested in how, so you're scoring it on the page yeah. to see what, how that. Uh, I have only had a couple. I haven't really had them read aloud to me very much. Only a couple of people have. Yeah, but you know, and then it sticks in my head because I have this, this kind of intense um, aural memory. So so that has been helpful because sometimes people will find rhyme in places that I didn't even realize I was doing it. Um, and I can do things to sort of bring that out a little bit more. But it would be nice to hear more people read them differently to see if it's, I don't know if my scoring is working or not, I guess. Because I think that that is really interesting to think about using yeah. the page to yeah. try to what it would be like aloud. That, yeah. that is, that's, can we, can we hear one? Like sure, that? sure. Um, so some of these... Excuse me, I have a little bit of a cold, if I'm sure you can tell. You're a real trooper, though. You're, um, yeah. <laughs> I feel good, I just sound bad. Um, so some of these were published in Fence. Um, so I'll read a couple. Winner's Circle. All you have to do is 
Sugar, gluten, dairy, nut, sugar, nut, nut, free, tree, street, safe, safe. Budget, those people spent, didn't these money, they didn't, these, they, they, they. Epikids Day Camp, nay, Fat Farm, and the enticingly titled Bonus Room. Young and Rustic. She rolls over, pulls the pistol from under the bed, and tells him, We're looking for something with a little more speed. Get his naked ass. Take me down to the Paradise City where the girls are fat and they have big titties. Does this Coke taste sort of sour to you? Granola and grits. Only thing better than the smell of a new Cadillac is the smell of a new Winnebago. Knee-high by the 4th of July. You still have to respect the office. You know, these flags and geraniums, these last memento mori. It's not true anymore. Um, Here's one more. Exclusive address. $100,000 isn't all that much when you really. Autodidacts. Don't come from money. Round and sun gold, tasting only slightly of can. Think about it. Cheers, darling. <laughs> Thank you, Megan. Now, can you tell us a little bit about the, like, what, for those, what would you say, mm-hmm. the voice, the... Well, the, they're polyvocal. Yeah. So there's a lot of different voices going on. Um, and one of the things I'm interested in is having the the um, syntax go ahead and blend from one line to the next, even if the voice is changing. Mm-hmm. So that's something that's fun to play with, I think. Um, some of it, too, is actually just trying to almost, as if when we're kind of tuning in and not quite able to pick up a station, that you can hear just a word here and there. But somehow, even though you can only hear that, you still know what they're talking about mm-hmm. and whether you want to listen or not. Right. <laughs> Uh, so I'm trying to get at that experience a little bit. Yeah. It seems it's it's wonderful. And did you now are these ones that you've you ordered and wanted to work together, the ones that you read from Fence, or are these ones that they've sort of they've curated in a way and ordered? Those were just the ones that they I just sent them five and those were the five that I sent them. So I'm not sure I can't remember what order I sent them in now. Um, and how they decided but, but to place them. But it doesn't. Yeah. But it's okay. These voices, because it is polyvocal. Yeah. That it seems like it's more. Yeah. The, a movable feast. Still. Yeah. And sometimes, <laughs> you know, when I was first putting the collection together, I was thinking, well, do I just do it in order, one through sixty-six, or do I try to group it geographically, or by income, or what do I do? And, you know, I found that, as most poets say, you know, it worked better to take a more sort of musical or formal approach um, because then I could bring out certain things that I'm doing with the, with the poems um, in a more technical way and just let the content sort of rub up against each other um, without... I mean, it's, it's, it's a short book. It's only 66 short poems, and so they're sort of all going to be happening in your head at the same time anyway. So I wasn't too concerned about the content um, flowing from one piece to the next, I guess, more the sound. And and was it something with this, um, the 66 poems, did it feel um, good to have this boundedness 
to it to feel like this is a project that is now done. Yes. And I know it. (laughs) Very. Yes. Yeah. And that's, but you know, that's something that I feel like sort of insecure and weird about too, because that's what I mean when I say, you know, maybe that's not really poetic because I didn't have to struggle with and wrestle with the sort of like, oh, is this book finished or not? I just knew, well, you know, now I have all 66. Now I can mess around with them and make them individually and I can fuss and pick and line at it, which I did. But like you said, yeah, it was contained. Well, it's it's an exciting containment. They I, they they're trying to get out too. Oh yeah, yeah definitely. No, definitely. So that's are. a good sign. That's a really <laughs> good sign. <laughs> okay, today on the program, Megan Levod is here. Uh, tonight she'll be reading at Nicholas Books with Francine Harris. They'll be reading from uh, the Another and Another, an anthology from the Grind Daily Writing Series. And um, Matthew Oltzman, and and who's the other editor on that? Ross White. Ross White. Mm -hmm. Great project. You can also check it out online. And if you feel like jumping in to the project, Megan's, I I think, saying you can, right? To the Daily Grind. If you have never done it before, you have to get somebody who's done it to invite you. But Uh, if you go out and you get this anthology, I bet you could find several of these people there you go and you can pick this and you can become pen pals and yeah (laughs) and and that's what poets need that's right right more pen pals for poems Mm -hmm. um so tonight nicola's books get your copy and hear um megan reed you've got living writers i'm t hetzel we'll be right back and you're listening to wcbn fm ann arbor Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel today on the program. Megan Levod is here. Megan, it's so good that you're here in the seat. Because yeah. <laughs> one of your many hats is um, the, uh, assistant director of the creative writing program here mm-hmm. at the fine, fine University of Michigan. The leaders and best, T. <laughs> we are fierce. <laughs> <laughs> And so this is one of your many hats and you keep so many um, balls juggling in the air with and just amazing things happening with all the visiting writers that are coming through here. And um, we're really lucky. And uh, yeah, and we're lucky to to have you um, keeping it all uh, rolling. I was I was reading from your profile on the University of Michigan Mm -hmm. uh, department page, Megan. 
like everything that you do in that little paragraph at the very end areas of responsibility and my head started to spin i was like ooh <laughs> and yet you still you're you're 5 a.m. whatever it takes to write these poems these lovely poems yeah i mean the 5 a.m. thing has been a little bit slow lately if i i, I got to be honest but yes i do like to write first thing for sure. And now tell me a little bit, since we had a chance to hear about your project, mm -hmm. um, uh, the, you and Tucker, you started 1928. Mm -hmm. you, you are like, you're creating librettos. Yeah. Um, so so yes. Tucker and I were actually in a class together when I was in the MFA program and he was getting his DMA. Um, and we always kind of were, I don't know, we always kind of wanted to be friends but we didn't really talk you know how that is and you see someone around town all the time and you're like oh hey it's you yeah. but nothing ever happens and then election night 2008 and coming back to 2008 a lot it must have been a generative year for me um that could be your next manuscript 2008, 2008. <laughs> that might be interesting and weird what else Perfect. happened that year <laughs> um, so so we ran into each other that night and everybody was there was a parade down main street and everyone was you know very excited and, yeah. yeah 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 and full of energy and joy and so we said oh we should work on a project together and um he asked if I could send him some poems. So I sent him a bunch, and then we met to talk about collaborating because he was looking for lyrics for his dissertation. And he already knew he wanted to write a song cycle about infidelity, and that sounded super interesting to me. And I was um, actually on fellowship that year on the Zell Postgrad Fellowship, and so it was nice to have a little bit more structure, too, um, to have an assignment and so, and the first one was murder. Well, and the, then love? the first one was actually infidel, which oh. was his um, dissertation. And one of the songs from that um, salted earth is on techsound.org. Yes, yeah. So that's oh, that's yes. out there on techsound.org. Techsound, friend of the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so they they put salted earth up, and then that's with uh, soprano Kelly Kimball and pianist Justin Snyder. And then after graduation, Tucker said he wanted to write murder ballads. And so he asked if I would write those with him. And of course I said, yes. And I actually was very, I was so excited. We were in Chicago, um, on our way to, I was part of a reading at, um, the art Institute. And I was so excited when he asked me if I would write murder ballads with him that I jumped around. Um, and I jumped around so much that my wallet fell out of my pocket and we never found it, so I jumped. I was so excited that I lost my wallet somewhere in Chicago. It was fine, but <laughs> there there could be some lost wallet blues happening yeah, for right. that one. <laughs> I love about the project that you guys say that um, cycles for dive bars and cabaret venues. Yeah, is that a way to describe that. Absolutely. So a big part of what Tucker um, was interested in, and this, you know, is something that. I was immediately attracted to um, is just getting classical, you know, classically written music and classically trained artists into spaces that people don't usually see them perform in um, and kind of crossing those boundaries and overlapping. And I feel the same way about poetry. I don't think of the song lyrics I write as necessarily poems, but I think of them as, I mean, that's part of my, part of my poetry, part of my writing, um, life 
for sure. And some of it's more poetic than other. Some of it feels much more like pop songy, but um, but I'm bringing you know my own sensibility to it, to all of it. I mean, as the person who also writes, you are where you live. So so that's there as well. But yeah, so um, Tucker. It does a sort of, um, I would say, kind of neo-baroque almost. There's a lot of excess to it, which is a lot of fun for me because then I get to make my lyrics more and more minimal because so much of the expression of emotion is going to come through in the music. Um, this is another, you know, another reason that I don't necessarily think of my lyrics as poems because I, people like to talk about how Bob Dylan is a great poet. I mean they're good songs, but it's those, it's not poetry. It wouldn't work without the music. And when people try to make it work without the music, it's they're obviously trying really hard to me. I mean, I just, yeah, I think that the, the, um, the meaning doesn't really come through, especially the emotional meaning, without the music there. Well, and it wouldn't be um, what you're, like it wouldn't be a an opera or it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a composition if it was if one of the pieces would work without the other right exactly and it's I mean and the collaboration is what's really fun and exciting for me too and where it feels really magical I also work with Kristen Custer who's a composer on the music faculty here now she is a much um her compositions are more minimal and um very rich and beautiful as well um but in a much more in a much more minimal way. And so I feel like I get to be a little bit more emotionally expressive um, in the lyrics that I'm writing with her because they're going to be offset a little bit by the, the, by the music. How wonderful to have both of these, yeah. these projects happening so that you can actually, because one, the knowledge of one is, uh, is obviously deepening the other. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. That's so interesting. And is part of the collaboration, mm-hmm. um, Megan, is it that, because um, how you explained the first, uh, the, the first project, which was the Tucker's dissertation, was it, it was when you gave him a group of these poems and then mm-hmm. he sort of created music around it. Now it feels like maybe the collaboration is, is different where, um, like sometimes you get the music first or do you, do you, because it sounds like you're changing. So if for his, you were paring down there's more of a spare yeah. quality to the lines is it after you hear how it's working or you know both both um tucker and Kristen like to write from the text they're very inspired by the text which makes things easier for me but in the course of time when you work with someone for a while i think that's when you start to sort of really get into a groove of what's going to work well with this particular person or on this particular project you know based on what is it that they wanted to write about I can hear in your voice now that we should, if only we had some honey and oh. lemon or something for you. <laughs> You're almost there, Megan. Oh. Thanks for doing this. You have to have oh, some voice left for fun. tonight, too. Yeah. No, but I'll be mic'd tonight, so. And a hot toddy. That'll, yeah. That'll do you Zingerman's great. Roadhouse is right right next door. <laughs> right. I bet they make a really amazing one. It's probably $400. But... Right. <laughs> Sorry. I love Zingerman's. Yeah. I really do. They're good to us. <laughs> and, um... And, and praise. I mean, all your truth telling. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> um, so, other collaborative projects, Megan. Mm-hmm. What? What other? Do you have other things in the work, or do you think that the one with the musicians is 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 feeding that side of you? I think 
it for the time being um I have about as much on my plate as I can handle with that. Tucker and I are now, so we wrote Murder, which is um, a murder ballad cycle, and then Love, which is a love song cycle based in the Great American Songbook tradition. Um, And now we are just about to finish up Labor, uh, because essentially we were like, what are American, what's American popular music about? Murder, love, work. (laughs) That's really what most of the songs are about. And once you start thinking about that, you really notice actually how many songs are about work that we don't notice, like Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. That is a song about work, Um, for example. Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner. That's a song about work. Um, So what are are some of the... um what are some of the, the songs that you're writing in this cycle? Um, we have, there's one about a meatpacking plant, uh, which is pretty gory and is essentially about all of the ways that you can be maimed or killed um, in meatpacking. Not to mention the poor <laughs> meat. Well, right, right. There's actually a little, there's a little line about that. Like, and you who are concerned for the pig and the cow and what happens to them. Um <laughs> So, and actually, speaking of Bob Dylan, you know, poor Bob Dylan, I was just like, he's not a poet, but I often... You don't have to keep saying that, Megan. (laughs) (laughs) But I often, so I, one of the things I do, and I thought this was cheating, but then I was talking to a musician um, this summer who has, you know, been in lots of bands and been around music for a long time, and I said, I think I'm a cheater because I just, all I do is think of a song that I like and that has a structure that I want and then I just kind of rework lyrics for it you know and start there and so I'm not really writing songs and this musician was like no that's that's totally normal you're fine don't worry about it so and it, you know one of the things that works well with Tucker is that we're coming from such different idioms um, because he's classically trained and was brought up in that and so he knows all kinds of classical music and also older American pop music that I'm not as familiar with and you know I'm more familiar with everything like kind of from rock and roll forward so that makes us a nice don't, mix as don't well. Don't deny the 80s you had your day pitch mode That's right. Yeah. <laughs> the 80s were important. Synth, synth. Exactly. Actually I'm you reading I'm reading um David Burns book How Music Works right now. Highly oh. highly recommend it. Super super interesting. Yeah. Oh. yeah speaking of the 80s. Yeah and and what out like what Whatever he does seems so interesting. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it's nice. Well, um, and speaking of venues and getting music into different kinds of venues, you know, going back to what you were saying about our description of, um, you know, getting classically trained folks into bars and cabarets. Yes. Yeah. All, <coughs> so many good missions that you've got going on. And, and you, were in, you were in at the Vermont Studio Center. And yeah. online, I saw your Vimeo, like your, oh, where you yeah. read some poems. Yeah. Lively words. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, that was very kind of Al to um, make a video with me. And I read some. Sorry, I have to cough again. <coughs> but, but folks could take this opportunity. <coughs> Look up, look up Vimeo, look up Vin- Vimeo, and you can hear Megan reading poems while she's coughing in real life. <laughs> but yeah, go and on. And was Meg- sitting in a garden in Vermont. <laughs> it looks like paradise. Um, yeah, so I read some poems from "You Are Where You Live" for that. I think actually some of the ones that are in fence. Um, and I read a couple from um, "Why We Live in the Dark Ages," which is another series of poems that I'm working on that are about science and history and information and technology and essentially exploring why it is that 
you know, even though we are post-Enlightenment people and we think that we know things empirically, um, most of the information that we get is actually just things other people told us. And yet somehow... And the, and the way that they tell us is even what I'm doing now, it's interrupted and it's not necessarily super logical. And yet, if we, I mean, yeah, we somehow manage to get what we need in order to live our lives and not be freaked out about gravity or, um, or, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. Sometimes gravity still gets me, Megan. Yeah. <laughs> And, and those poems, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> you can find some of those, the science poems mm-hmm. in Tin House. Which, yeah. which issue is it? The Science it's, Fair issue. And it's volume 13 and it's... Some, uh, Number three. Okay. So from last winter. Well, great. So get those science poems. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to Living Writers. Megan Levod is here today um, talking with me. And I'm so glad. We'll, we'll take a short break. We'll be right back. Love hurts, love scars, love wounds and mars any heart not tough nor strong enough. Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel today. Megan Levod is here. Uh, thanks again to Stephanie for engineering. And Megan, thanks for picking Love Hurts. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was saying earlier that um, I often compose lyrics by thinking of a song and then um, reworking it, which even I, I continue to, it doesn't feel any less cheesy the more times I say that, but it's just the truth. So, so Love Hurts was one of those. Um, for for the labor songs and that was actually um well you know maybe appropriate that was a song about prostitution so because that's work right um it's a huge part of our labor economy um that's not really discussed much um and that and it also actually kind of um gets into the project that i'm working on now which I'll read some of tonight at Nicola's. I think I wanted to read some work in progress because I just think it's way more fun to read new things. Read, read one now, Megan. Oh, okay. If you've got, that's okay. wonderful. Megan's got um, a, a sheaf I, of paper. I have here. some. Um, I can read a couple of short ones. How about? Um, hmm. 
Ah. And what's the title of this series but, called? You know, right now, working title? The working title is uh, Some Small Apocalypse, because, you know, everyone's writing their apocalypse poems now, right? <laughs> the Mayans. So, the, the people are concerned about the Mayan apocalypse, <laughs> which is next week. Um, don't miss it. Um, concerned about nuclear apocalypse. Um, zombie apocalypse is a big one. I'm actually really interested in ap- apocalypse as, you know, the the rending of the veil so that we can see what we haven't been able to see before that's going on and thinking about that in the context of relationships. Um, so, you know, after love hurts, you've really learned a lot, <laughs> really learned a lot. Um, also that song makes me feel good sometimes when I'm worrying about lyrics because if the music is good enough, you can say things like love is like a stove burns you when it's hot and it's totally fine. And everyone and, loves it. And beautiful. And beautiful and sad. Super and sad. And true. So Meaningful. Yes. Sorry, I'm like, touching the table. <laughs> it's my first time on the radio. Um, and you're doing grand. <laughs> okay, so like let me... Natural. <laughs> so um, I will... So here I'll, I'll read a couple of short ones. Um, some of these are addressed to the reader. Reader, we both have a cold. I wish it were the same one. Or at least, I wish other people thought it was. (laughs) What have I to say to you? Remember the cabin? I went there alone. I snuck in with a book between my teeth, like a weapon. I reorganized our thoughts. What have I to say to you? I have no one to talk to. I am my own angel. I am my own Texas. I am a stadium filled with screaming fans. I have no one to talk to. I am Amelia Earhart, piloting the Kitty Hawk with the Lindbergh baby strapped to my chest. I have no one to talk to. I am a balladeer, a career violinist. This bruise on my neck, I did it to myself. So those are a few from that, that new work. And so, and this is when you say works in progress and mm. it's kind of, and it's, I think that is exciting to think about, um, a writer sharing those yeah. as well. Can, yeah. can you say a little more about that? Like what, cause there's a different energy to it. Oh, absolutely. Dynam, dynamism. It's more intimate. <laughs> you feel like there's actually a reason. I mean, for me, it gives more reason to be there. So of course you know, if I am excited about a writer, and I love readings anyway, uh, I, I like going to readings, um, even if it's maybe not someone who I think is one of my favorite writers, just the being present and in the space with other folks. We don't, you know, there's not a lot of live performance. Well, there there is a lot of live performance anywhere, but there's always a worry that that's kind of going away. I don't think it ever will because there are there's a, a way that there's this energy and intimacy that you can't get from um, from a perform, you know, that you can't get from TV or from or YouTube or screen. Yes. Yeah, but I think especially when someone shares work in progress, which you know we've been fortunate with the Zell Visiting Writers series. A lot of writers who come through will read something that's in a draft form or that is unpublished or that they're still working on, even on stage, crossing out. And that's my; those are some of my favorite moments because it feels like we're a part of their process. So, yeah. 
God. So you'll be reading a few of these, the works mm-hmm. in progress from that your series. And you've yeah. got a couple uh, at Nicholas tonight at seven o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nicholas books. Uh, one of, uh, thank goodness for Nicholas yeah. books, you should say for a moment, right? The, yeah. The independent bookshop. Um, Absolutely. L- long may she last and prosper. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe have an auxiliary one, you know, in town. As oh, well. like a newsstand. That would be brilliant mm-hmm. yes it would <laughs> there's a there's an idea for you nicola if you're listening yeah <laughs> um but you have a, another so you have other series that you're working on too um is that true megan oh. you've got another sheaf with a paper clip yeah so it. there's well there's two sheafs because um it, some of the poems have been broken into two chapbooks and i just kind of grabbed both and brought them with but um there's actually there's getting to be tons of them so they're and some of them are addressed to a mother. Um, and you may have noticed that a few of them start with, what have I to say to you? That's actually um, taken from William Carlos Williams. And so something else I'm thinking about a lot with this project is thinking about spring and all and thinking about the intimacy of warring nations. Um, so that's coming into it somewhat. Um but there's gotten to be a, an awful lot of them. Um, I don't know. There's over 100 at this point. But I, I think I'll just keep writing them until um, until they start talking to each other loud enough that I can really hear it. Um, Raymond McDaniel, who's Friend been on the, the show. show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and his book just, just came out. Yes. Yeah. And, just, and such a great reading on Friday night. Yeah, such a great reading. I mean, he's an amazing reader. Talk about having a voice. So, um, but yeah, so, so Raymond looked at it, um, this fall and gave me the terrible news that he thinks I might be writing a novel in verse. So, uh, <laughs> so we'll find out what that means. That sounds, that sounds exciting. Yeah. Exciting, <laughs> exciting, terrible too. news. Yeah. Or exciting, terrifying. Right. Terrifying. Right? Which is but, just you. That's the zone you want to be yes, in. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, let's talk about Megan as like a little girl in mm-hmm. Iowa. Okay. You were living, you were in out living across the field from your grandparents' yeah, farm. Is yeah. this, is that how it all began? Is that well, when you started writing? These you know, poems? very early on, um, there's, there's pictures of me. I had gotten dressed up and I was giving my parents a dramatic reading from, I think, a children's garden of verses or something like that. That's a good book. It's a really good book. And I think, you know, I've talked to so many writers who, if that was important to you and stuck with you and was meaningful when you were little, like, oh, you're done for, man. (laughs) But you were you were giving a dramatic read. Did was, you have yeah. a scarf? Were you? I had a hat. Parade? I had a hat that had cherries on it. I think it was it was sort of a 1930s kind of look. Nice. Um, I think it was kind of based on what was in the costume box. But yeah, so I, I did that. My dad used to recite poems to me when I was little. He would recite um, "Stopping by Woods in a Snowy Evening." Or he would recite parts of uh, Child's Christmas in Wales. So for the longest time, I thought that it was long, long ago when there were wolves and whales, as though whales were no more, which always kind of confused me because I thought, well, no, there's still whales. Knock on wood. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And he would sing me songs. And I think, um, and I was always really interested in music. I would also get dressed up and um, give little Dolly Parton concerts. 
that kind of what thing. was your favorite Dolly Parton song, Megan? Jolene. I of course. Knew you were gonna say I mean, that. everybody. It feels good to feel sad. I loved feeling sad as a child. Now, have you written? A, you did. Oh yeah, it was so meaningful, mature. And so then you went to Iowa for university. I did. An undergrad. Yeah, but I didn't know that I was going to be a writer. I was kind of, I was kind of secretive about it, even to myself. So even though I was an English major and I was um, editing the campus undergrad literary journal, and then I started. This doesn't seem so. This yeah. doesn't seem secret oh, agent. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and then I started another literary journal, an online one, because if you knew HTML in 1998, you could have a website. So, yeah, that was, yeah, so not so secret, not so secret. And then finally, I took a poetry class with David Hamilton. It wasn't a creative class, but he took me aside and asked me to read for the Iowa Review. And he wrote, we had to write imitations and he wrote on mine. These don't seem like imitations. These seem like your own. So he kind of gave me that little nudge. That's important. That was so important. Super important. Yeah. 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 And then, and then it was Chicago for a while before coming to Michigan. Yeah, is that the the path? Yeah, and I had some friends, um, George Sanchez, namely, who had gotten an MFA at Michigan in poetry, and it just sounded like a great place, and it sounded like people were getting a lot of good work done here, and that they were really kind to one another. And I thought, well, hey, I might as well throw my hat in the ring. And then I heard back from Peter Ho Davies, and and I've been here ever since. Ah. Uh-huh. The Michigan years. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Megan, when when you were, what do you think, since you're from from this this rural place, mm-hmm. and um, and do you think that has any? I don't know. After hearing about the Prism yeah. project, it sounds also suspiciously like prison. We're cataloged into particular yeah. demographics. But I, I really, I was thinking, I wonder if that's also why you're working with space in these interesting ways with your poems. Oh, because sure. that you grew up with space and fields. So and much <laughs> space. Absolutely. Oh, it's really, that's cool that you mentioned that to you because one of the things that I say when people ask me about Ann Arbor is that there are a lot of great things about living here, but I do sometimes really miss the particular kind of sky on the prairie. And it's just, it's just, um, it's a lot bigger and higher and it's hard to describe. I think it's, um, I think you might be onto something. Yeah. And it's part of you. Yeah. And it's in your work. Yeah. Megan Levod, thank you so much for being on Living Writers today. Thanks, T. <laughs> And and feel better soon. And tonight, yes. Megan Levod at Nicholas Bookshop, uh, reading also with Francine Harris, uh, another and another, an anthology from the Grind Daily Writing Series. And look and look for You Are Where You Live because it is going to be out there. Um, it's going to be out there. And and, <laughs> it, and Megan, thanks again for being on the show. Thanks to Stephanie for engineering. Thanks to all you out there for listening. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time.
This is Free Speech Radio News for Wednesday, December 12, 2012. In Kansas City, I'm Danny Wood. Coming up, in Washington, lawmakers hold the first ever congressional hearing on the punitive student discipline practices known as the school-to-prison pipeline. We go to Mexico, where activists are calling for the release of people still in detention following street protests during the inauguration of President Enrique Peña Nieto nearly two weeks ago. And the Palestinian Authority says it may go to the International Criminal Court if Israel proceeds with plans to construct settlers' homes near East Jerusalem. Those stories and more coming up after this news. I'm Jess Burns with headlines for FSRN. Michigan Governor Rick Snyder signed right-to-work legislation last night, making the state the 24th in the country to adopt the rules widely opposed by 